You guys doing good? Happy Sunday. I'm really looking forward to today. Um, the last few weeks, we've been hitting this message of the gospel, hitting the theology of the gospel. And um, today, we're going to be off-roading. You guys like to off-road a little bit, right? So we're going to get into that in just a minute, and then we're going to get back into some more worship. What a good day. Um, if you're just joining us, we are, we are in the middle of a series um, called Purpose and Passion, Igniting Personal and Community Vision. And this is all about starting the year with a refresher of what our main purpose is in our lives and to let the Holy Spirit bring a fresh passion and focus into that, both personally and as a community, what that looks like as a church body, as saints in Los Angeles, and as a city and region. And so we're going after it. We've been hitting uh, the message of the gospel. Last week, we talked all about the main message of our lives, which is Christ and him crucified. We will unapologetically continue to pump this out of our mouths, Christ and him crucified. And the reason being is because we've encountered his love. We have encountered Jesus, who is love. We are wrecked in the best way possible. And it all comes back to like all the bells and whistles and, and things that we make it. I, I always want us to come back to that plumb line of Christ and Christ crucified. That is our main message. And so we hit that last week and we talked about the various, the various ways that the cross at the center of our lives impacts all aspects of our lives. And today, um, as we keep the cross at the center of our life message, when we preach the gospel, it's when we preach the gospel and the goodness of God and his kingdom and Jesus come, died and resurrected and taking us with him into new life. When we preach the gospel, God releases supernatural confirmation. And it's a supernatural confirmation that comes by the Holy Spirit. So let's go ahead and flip to 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And as you're getting your phones ready and Bibles ready, um, this is going to be a very short teaching. And then I'm going to share some stories. You like some story time? Then we're going to get into some testimonies. We're going to give a short, brief, powerful gospel presentation. And then we are going to have activation. So you should be really scared in your seats right now. I showed up to this place and he just said, I'm going to be activated. What the heck is that? You shall see. You shall see. No, it's going to be so good. First Corinthians 2, starting in verse... Actually, let's start a little earlier on. Let's start in verse 1. This is, this is the passage that we examined last week. First Corinthians 2, starting in verse 1. Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. He's not bragging in how eloquent his words were. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And here's the verses I want to focus on. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Someone say hallelujah. I love this. If you look later in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look there in a second. 
But Paul is actually referring to his critics. And the critics over Paul were saying basically that there's nothing too special about Paul. He's not great in the way that he looks. He's not great in the way that he speaks. And some of you are like, there's hope for me yet. But what was happening? Traditionally, traditionally, there's a belief that Paul was probably quite short. He may have had wide bowed legs. Not an impressive looking individual that would have naturally in a world system commanded attention. And he wasn't necessarily relying on his own strength of his eloquence and, and how great of a speaker he was. And so we actually can, can see from his writing in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 7, he says, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? Some of you are like, yeah, sometimes I do. <laughs> I'm already convicted, Paul. Thank you. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? Let's go down to verse 10. This is what his critics are saying, talking about Paul. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful. They're saying the letters that Paul's write, those are, those are powerful. Those are anointed letters. Paul gives those strong letters. His letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Isn't that fascinating? Like what the, the examination of what they're saying about Paul. But he's not leaning on his own strength. Thank God we don't have to lean on our own strength, right? Often God calls you in areas you don't feel strong so that you don't rely on your own strength. Maybe I should hit on that for a little minute. Woo! When, when, you're, when you're feeling weak in an area, but you're feeling a nudge from the Lord, lean into him. Because that's where the strength's going to come. That's where the testimony of Jesus is going to be that much louder. Because you're not like, oh, yeah, I was so gifted in this area. And uh, I just so happened to also, like, bring God with it. All gl- it, wasn't, it wasn't me. It was him. It was, it's like, no, actually, that would have been a lot more powerful than just you. But, but he can fill your gifting. He gave you the gifting. He fills your life. So you can still give glory to him. Thank you, Jesus. But uh, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily love when people are like, it wasn't me, it was him. So don't say that anymore. Uh, if it was God singing, we'd all be on our faces melted, okay? It wasn't that good, okay? Listen, America's Got Talent. It's good. I don't know. But here we have Paul not leaning on his own strength. I'm encouraged by that because sometimes I'm like, I don't got strength for this. I don't have all the fancy language for it. God, I need your presence and power. In fact, Jesus, anoint my... If, I, if I'm being cheeky or annoying, just get that out of here. Let me, let me actually just speak your words of life, God. And you can fill my humor too in Jesus' name. Amen. So with Paul, it wasn't about eloquence. How, how, how eloquent he was in his speech. It wasn't about his strength of appearance. And this is why he chose to reply. The super, supernatural confirmation of the Holy Spirit is the message of the gospel. He, he takes what he brings forth, the message of the cross, and he's saying, I need the power and presence and confirmation of the Holy Spirit to carry these words and to bring that life and power. And so looking to 1 Corinthians 2, we have to notice that the emphasis... The emphasis is the reality of the Holy Spirit is something that God wants to demonstrate. Can we read that one more time? 
1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. My speech, my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He wants to demonstrate his power. The Holy Spirit is invisible, but the way that we see God, the way that we see him, is how he demonstrates himself by what he does. We see God. We see these face-to-face, person-to-person encounters, how he chooses to move through the miraculous, through encounter, through power, through how he shows up and intervenes, through divine interactions, through physically feeling him at times, through the close nearness of his peace, his joy, and his security that can rest and fill his saints. And the ways that God shows up, the ways that he confirms is, is to confirm and to demonstrate the truth of who he is and the confirmation of the gospel message. If we are merely building our faith in God by human reason alone, it will not hold up over time. When we meet Jesus, there is always an invitation into an experience of, of his supernatural power. Um, I was just at the Jesus Culture Pastors Conferences last week up in Sacramento. I've loved Jesus Culture for years, and our leadership team has gone up for three years in a row. It's been incredibly um, powerful, fruitful, educational in all sorts of ways. But um, there was a, a speaker there, some of you might know, named Corey Russell. Anyone heard of him before? A few of you. Corey Russell. I, I believe he's from Alabama, and he's just got a writ. Arkansas, thank you. We got some Alabama natives here to, to correct me. There's a difference. Not quite as deep south as you folk. So Corey from Arkansas, he's got a booming voice. I love when he prays and speaks. But I, I, I kind of love because earlier in the conversation, they're like, pastors, we just want you to be encouraged. We want you to be built up. He gets up on the stage. I'm not here to encourage y'all. I'm here to bring a disruption. I got hit by that. I was like, where am I just trying to like be an encourager? Like, come to Evergreen. You'll be nice and encouraged. You know, you'll have just enough strength to get through your week so that you're crawling in the door for next Sunday. But I hope you leave encouraged. I'm like, no, Corey, I can feel it in my bones. I want a disruption in the house. I'm not here to encourage y'all. I'm here to disrupt you. Make my voice crack. I want a disruption. I also just got to say that the Southern accents have been rich the last two weeks. I want to remind you, I am from North Carolina. So go on and raise up. All right. Romans 15. As we get there, I, I, I do want to share that I, I had a nice disruption this week because um, in the middle of worship, uh, the glory of God was moving so profoundly. And I was like, I just need to get to that altar. I, I just laid face down and the spirit of God touched me where I was. It doesn't, it doesn't happen every time, but th- there is this movement of the beauty of Jesus so rich within me that I'm just like shaking, crying. It wasn't, I wasn't sad about anything. I wasn't thinking about hardships in my life. It literally was the spirit breathing the beauty of Jesus into my life. 
And I could see this almost like a candlelight vision of Jesus sitting face to face across from the table from me with all of the food at the banqueting table, just looking and smiling at me with his eyes of fire. And I began to shake in his presence, the glory of our God and just that deep movement that only he can do. There was a lot of snot on the ground. I'm sorry to the cleaners, I did my best. But it's just, when God moves, there's nothing like the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's nothing like it. Romans 15, verse 18. For I will, I for, let me start over. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. There's some authority in that word. What Paul is emphasizing here is that he's wanting to preach what God has done through him by his power, not preaching what he has done on his own. And he strongly believes that signs, wonders, and the power of God are part of the gospel message. When we're talking about the power of God, the miraculous, what God does, this is not a side course of the gospel meal. They are part of the main course. The power of the Holy Spirit demonstrating and confirming is woven into the gospel message as it is preached. And I just want to say it again. Verse 19, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. Amen. It's just not a matter of talk, but of power, says the Lord. I, I quoted Derek Prince last week. He is a Cambridge scholar and philosopher that has, has gone on to heaven. Um, I believe he died at least 20 years ago. But I love his resources. A lot of his teaching is so rich, and I've been inspired by him. But um, even though he was a philosopher and a Cambridge scholar, he decided um, by the prompting of the Lord to move for a period of time to Kenya and, and help um, foster education of men um, in Kenya who were desiring to be trained in their collegiate um, experience, trained as educators. And... This is what he kind of recalls. He, he had about 120 uh, gentlemen that were part of this program, and they just wanted to be extremely obedient to anything he said. You know, he's preaching about Jesus, but they're also teaching education, and everything is yes. Yes, of course, we will do this. We'll be obedient. We'll do it all. They're, they were hungry to learn. And um, if you know anything about, like, modern missions, we're kind of moving away from, from like, the white man coming in with the, the pleated white shirt and khaki pants and changing culture so that you look like us. You know, we're moving away from that, thank the Lord, and just letting people encounter Jesus and fill their culture with Jesus. Um, and so he was aware of that. And he's aware that, that these gentlemen, he wanted them to hear the gospel message and to believe it and receive it, not just because this educated man came to preach it to them, and so we gathered them around, and, and he said, hey, guys, there's some external conformity to, for the sake of this education, and I see that there's actually a, a struggle with some real heart obedience. 
And so as he gathered them, he, sa- he asked them this question. Is the Bible really a message from God? Or is this just a white man's book that doesn't apply to Africans? And the, these men were taken aback by what he's saying because there, there was some truth into that, in that. And he says, I can't answer this for you. There is only one way that you can find out the answer for yourself. It will come with the supernatural power of God in your life. Then you will know it. You'll know that it didn't come from America. It didn't come from Britain. It came from heaven. And so for the next six months, he taught them in the word of God. He knew that he needed to give the the foundation of the word of God and that the signs and the wonders would accompany the gospel message. So he, just as we love the marriage of the word and spirit, he dove into the word and then he felt led by the Lord to go away for six months and pray. So he left them for six months and, and look what happened. He comes back after six months. All nine of the gifts of the spirit were in full operation. The men were so hungry for the Lord that they weren't sleeping at night. They were holding all night prayer vigils. They were on fire for the Lord. These men that it was just a theory before and they were trying to be obedient became alive in Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit. He said there was a real radical change in their lives. It was the supernatural power of God that confirmed the message of the cross. During that time, there were even two students raised from the dead. There was a young woman named Teresa that was incredibly sick, and she went home to her village. Um, and so her brother came and delivered the, the news that she had died. They go, um, Derek and his wife go to this small clinic where she had died. The family is mourning and weeping. He described it. It felt like a scene from the New Testament. And they arrived. They're like, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to say. But we went in with, with whatever faith that we had. And we knelt down at her bedside and we began to pray. And after some time, as we just continued to pray and seek the Lord and ask him to come with power and faith, all of a sudden she just sat up out of nowhere and said, has anyone got a Bible? Has anyone got a Bible? She said, read Psalm 41. She explained that when she died, her spirit left her body and she went to a place of beautiful lights and saw a man reading there Psalm 41. I'm just going to give a snippet of Psalm 41. It says, the Lord will sustain them and strengthen them on his bed of illness. He will sustain him on his sick bed. An evil disease, they said, clings to him. And now he lies down. He will rise no more. But you, Lord, be merciful to me. Raise me up that I may repay them. By this, I know that you are well pleased with me because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. I would call that a supernatural confirmation of the gospel. And some of you are like, wow, does that really happen? Yes, it really happens. Experiencing the power of the Spirit creates a stirring within us. It draws out a desire for obedience in our hearts. Preaching the gospel, presenting the glory of the cross and the kingdom brings supernatural confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And when he shows up, hearts are transformed. I want to share a a story from a few years ago. I was invited to go with some believing friends to a music festival um, halfway between here and San Francisco. And at this festival, I think it's safe to say there were not many believers there. 
but we felt led to be light in the darkness. And so as we went, I remember we even led one guy named Jedi to Jesus. Yes. Sounds about right, right? <laughs> Good old Jedi. And while we're there, you know, a lot of it is just relational evangelism as you're, as you're eating meals together, as you're enjoying time together. But the last day, as all of the RVs are leaving the site, we, we just hung back. We were like, we'll hang back, we'll chill, rela we'll relax. We don't have to wait for a couple hours or whatever it took. And so as we're just hanging out, we hear a blood-curdling scream. And so I look at my friend Jason and Victoria, and no communication was needed. We just start sprinting, sprinting to where this scream is coming from. And it was probably, um, gosh, maybe a block away in distance so you would know. And as we got there, there was a large gentleman who was halfway hanging out of a tent and he was like a dark gray purple color. And this woman is freaking out. She said, I found him like this. He had vomit out of his mouth um, and there was no pulse. He wasn't breathing. This man was dead. And she was, you know, screaming at the top of her lungs. This is her friend she went to the festival with. He had overdosed. Um, in his tent. And so, in those moments, those are some moments you're put to the test, right? But I got to tell you, I didn't even feel tested because the faith of Jesus arose within me and it rose with, within Jason and Victoria. We just started praying over this guy, grabbing onto him, you know, in Jesus' name, rise. In Jesus' name, rise. And people are gathered around. In Jesus' name, rise from the dead. You know, you, you don't care at that point like what people are thinking around you. And I tell you what, it, it took maybe about 20 seconds, but all of a sudden from this man, the deepest gasp I've ever heard of my life. <sighs> now she had told us that he had been like that for a while and that's where she found him. That's not like 30 seconds he wasn't breathing, right? And so this man is gasping for breath. He's still not fully um, aware, but he's, he's breathing and he, he's alive. He has a heartbeat. Finally, the paramedics come, and they're, they're working on him, and he starts crashing again. He starts crashing again, and um, no breathing, heartbeat again. And we're like, well, the Lord did it once. He's going to do it twice. In Jesus' name, rise from the dead. You will live. You will not die. I swear to you, deep breath again. He comes back to life. That time didn't take too long. And uh, this man ended up living. And, and here's the deal. Like, we just showed up on the scene. You just come forward as like, I'm a believer. I know the power of Jesus. I wish I saw this every day. More, Lord. More, Lord. Let's see it more every day. But, man, when you see the, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit do what only he can, it can't leave you the same. It's the power of Jesus. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of him choosing you not only as one that is saved, but one who is a delegated authority in the land to bring the kingdom of God, to release life, to release redemption. You are called a priest and a king in the New Testament. That means that everywhere we go, we step forward with the ministry of Jesus. It's no longer just one person walking around healing. It's no longer about 70 people walking around healing. It is about person after person who comes to faith in Jesus, immediately filled with the Spirit of God. And the very God that rose Jesus from the dead is alive within you, and he wants to be let out. This is our God. 
And so now we're going to take some time, and um, we're going to give a short gospel presentation, putting it into practice, short gospel presentation, then we're going to share a couple testimonies on, on the powerful move of God for healing, signs, wonders, and miracles, and then we're going to pray into it, and then we're going to have a prayer line down the middle here where we want to lay hands on you guys because this is scriptural. This is actually an elementary teaching in scripture to lay hands upon you. And it's, it doesn't have to be a, a, well, God is a little weird. In fact, he's pretty weird, but very weird sometimes. But if you feel compelled, we're going to go into worship at that time and we're going to lay hands on you. Trusted evergreen leadership and ministry team. We're going to lay hands on you and bless what God does. If you need healing in your life, and you, if you need freedom in your life, if you need an ignition in your life, if you need a, a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life, this will be an in, intentional time to do so. And we're going to seek the Lord as a church for him to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. You guys ready? All right. Can we welcome up Bryce Crawford as he gives the gospel this morning? morning. Tommy called me yesterday and asked me to share the gospel. And I was so excited because there's no other message uh, that I want to talk about. So it's awesome to be up here. After he called me, I, I opened my, my Bible and I, I started reading the gospels again. And because you know, there's something new every morning. Every time you open it, there's something new. Same story, something new. And so I open it up, and I'm reading the Gospels, and I look, and I'm acknowledging. I'm like, man, this story seems like it's going hand in hand. I mean, Jesus' way is going, and then all of a sudden, this guy just interrupts the narrative, and his name's Barabbas. And, and as you're reading the story, you're seeing Jesus is healing the sick. He's opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, and then this guy comes out of nowhere, Barabbas. And every year, Pilate knew that the Jews had a tradition to release one prisoner on the holy day. And so he stands on an audacious stage, and he says, here we have two people. I have Jesus, son of the living God, and Barabbas, the thug and rebel. Who do you want? And this sounds like blasphemy. There's no comparison Barabbas is a murderer. He's, he's the leader of an insurrection. He's a rebel. He's a crook. He deserves the chains. He deserves the crucifixion. And Jesus, what has he done? He's only healed the sick. He's opened blind eyes, opened deaf ears. He laid hands on the leper and the lame, the son of God. And as he stands on this stage, he says, who do you want? And the people say, we, we want Barabbas. Yeah. Give us Barabbas. And so the Roman soldiers, they go and they, they unlock Barabbas from the chains. And he probably walks down and he's probably like, yeah, man, they, they let me go. These people love me, man. Yeah, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but, but man, I don't even care. And you look at Jesus, silent, because he just wanted to do the will of the Father. His silence was actually in agreement with the rest of the crowd that chanted that they wanted Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. 
And when I look at that story, and as I was looking at that story yesterday after I got off the phone, I finally understood who Barabbas was. That's me. And that's you. It's all of us. And every time I read this story, I look at Barabbas, and I can only help but see myself. And it's crazy to think that Barabbas gets off this stage, he walks away, doesn't know who Jesus is, doesn't care who he is, he probably doesn't even want to know who he is, and on top of that, he's not even planning on looking back. There's no record of Barabbas turning around to Jesus and saying, thank you, Jesus, for you have set me free. I owe you everything. He never did that. And as I was driving here this morning, I was just thinking, and I was like, man, I'm I'm Barabbas, and you know, you kind of think like, oh man, I'm Barabbas. You know, when you get when you when you start thinking of that, you're like, man, I'm kind, I kind of suck. Like, oh. And I just hear Jesus go, man, I love Barabbas. And I'm like, what? I'm like, man, he's a crook. And I'm thinking, man, I'm a crook. Like, man, I'm like, man, why would you like that guy? And then why would you like me? But he's like, man, I love him. Because Jesus died knowing that there would even be a Barabbas that wouldn't even turn around and look at the free gift that he had given them. And so when I look at this story, I look at my own life and I say, man, I'm Barabbas. And I look and I have the audacity to say, man, for a while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And for grace I've been saved, but now I'm in some sort of mess and I'm stuck, and I'm bound, and I'm just going to shake myself out. But that's the opposite of the gospel. I mean, I can't do anything to shake myself out of the mess I'm in. That's the purpose of Jesus Christ. So that's the message to you. Are you bound? Are you held by sin, the sexual urges, the temptations of the world? And you're going to sit here and look at me and say, oh, man, I can shake myself free. you got to stop lying to yourself. You can't shake yourself free. The only one that can set you free is the one who was sent, the one who nailed on the cross, the one who took your payment. And sometimes we even have the audacity to stand on the stage next to Jesus, bound by our sin, and say, no, I deserve it. I deserve the chains. I deserve the crucifixion. But Jesus says, no, give me your sin. Give me your shame. Let me take that punishment so you can walk free. I say, okay. And they come and they unhook me and they unchain me. And as I walk away, I turn and I look. And I look at the man who doesn't deserve anything. The man that's given me more than I could ever ask for. Walk into the cross that I deserve. Going to die the death that I deserve so that I can go live my free life. And you think that's where the story ends. But three days later, Jesus comes walking out that grave. And when Jesus comes walking out that grave, just as he rises, he, he asks Lazarus to come. He, he brings Lazarus back to life, and he says, come. But they leave the old cloth behind in the grave. And so all my sin, all my shame, all my guilt that Jesus took with him to the cross, he left in that grave. And just as we were baptized into death with Jesus, we're raised into new life with him. And when I look at the story of the cross, and when I look at 
at who Jesus is, at the punishment that he took, that cross is an altar. And that cross is just like this altar right here. And, and, and what Pastor Tommy and what Evergreen is doing is, is they're setting the atmosphere because an altar isn't just a place we go for an emotional response. An altar is a place of sacrifice. Things die at the altar. And so when you come forth, whether you say, man, I need healing, God, I'm bound, I need freedom, this thing's been haunting me since I was six, seven, eight years old, I got bitterness and anger issues I can't get rid of, when you come down this aisle and you meet here at the altar, that stuff dies here, and it stays here. And so I... I I'm, I'm going to share two testimonies, as, as, as Tommy asked me to, about the power of the gospel and, and how I've seen it in other people's lives and how I've seen it in my life. I was in Mexico last week, and uh, I was in Mexico City. I was at this youth conference, just a bunch of youth hungry for Jesus, and uh, <laughs> these guys wheel in this guy on a wheelchair. These, like, students, they wheel this kid in on a wheelchair, and he's, like, really frail and and um, he can barely move. Like, he wanted to stand for worship, but they had to have two of his buddies, like, hold him up to worship. And uh, we just saw this crazy move of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit breaks out, and I, I see all these people laying hands on everybody, but it was almost like that they were avoiding the one guy that probably needed it the most. It was like everybody was going for the guy that, that looks healthy, you know, but, but the one that really needs it, they're overlooking him. And so I walk over there to him, and, uh, and I, I can't speak Spanish. So I, I was like, if something's about to happen, it's going to be Jesus. And, uh, and so I just asked the Holy Spirit to bring full healing. God, Holy Spirit, will you grow his legs? Will you give him new tendons, new muscles, God? Will you just let him be able to do things he was never able to do before? All of a sudden, he starts stretching out his legs at a length he's never been able to do before. He's never been able to run in his life. And so he stands up, and his friends let him go, and he starts sprinting all around the room. I'm talking running, just going crazy. Just crazy, man. Something he's never been able to do in his life. That's the power of the gospel. Isaiah says it's by his stripes we're healed. So that means all the physical pain we've ever been through, we can be healed from today. And then, and then what the gospel's done in my life, I remember reading all these stories, and I remember reading this story in Leviticus 9, where all of Israel is with Moses and Aaron, and Moses and Aaron are going to build this altar to the Lord. And the second Aaron gets done laying the last brick, fire hits this altar, and the entire nation of Israel falls on their face. And then I was reading about Moses, how he's like having a casual conversation with God, because that's normal. And he's like, he's like, God, show me your face. I'm like, dude, what? And he sees his back. Like, that's crazy. And so I'm reading all these stories where people have these encounters. And then I, I move out to L.A. And I'm reading these stories of Azusa Street where people are bringing crippled homeless people here. And then they, they leave sprinting out of the Azusa building. And, and then I hear about the Jesus Revolution. And so I started praying this prayer right after I moved to L.A. Like, God, show me your face. I'm like, man, I want to see your face. And I, like, didn't understand, I guess, what I was praying. You know, I, I was like, man, this sounds cool. Like, this sounds right. And uh, so I started praying, and I didn't get anything for a very long time. <laughs> I'm, but I'm still praying, and I think that's so cool how faith is the persistent pursuit of God. 
despite our circumstances, you know? And so even though I wasn't getting what I wanted in the moment, it still didn't stop me from praying for it. And so I was going after it. And finally, it was in May of uh, this past year, I was at a conference, and I was with a father of mine. It was up in Fresno. And I'm in this back room, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit breaks out. I'm watching people hit the ground left and right. Nobody's touching them. And I'm thinking, what is going on in this room? And I'm getting terrified. Like, I'm, I'm like, actually horrified. And so finally... They look over at me, and I'm the only dude that's not on the ground. Like, there may be like, there's like maybe one other guy that's not on the ground. I'm thinking, what is going on? And so he comes over to me, and when he lays his hands on me, just as Tommy and the, and the, and the, the ministry team here is going to do, they just ask for the Holy Spirit to encounter me. And I remember when that moment happened, I've never been more terrified of seeing the face of God before in my life. Um, I didn't understand what I was praying. I got pinned to the ground in the fetal position. I couldn't move, but it wasn't just that. I was closing my eyes as I was in prayer, and I'm getting encountered, and I'm, I'm hearing the Lord so clearly, and when I open my eyes, I literally can't see. I'm blind. I like I, It's just white, and so now I'm really freaking out. I'm like pinned on the ground. I can't move. Now I open my eyes, and I can't see, and I'm like screaming on the ground like, God, I can't see. I can't see. What's going on? And, uh, and my, uh, my friend was, like, laying on top of me, hugging me. He's like, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. And I, I, everything's going to be all right. And I, I'm thinking, like, man, like, what is going on? I, I never understood that what it would be like God being outside of time just touching me in my limited body, like how I would just react to it. But I was just so overwhelmed because I've never, I've never experienced anything like that before in my life. Like, you know that's pretty crazy, but the whole time I was on the ground, God began to speak to me things that I've been asking God for answers for for so long. And God began to show up in a new way in my life. And I remember as I'm crying out for over an hour, I still can't see. God, I can't see. Please help me. <laughs> After about an hour of screaming that, I just hear God whisper, I'll show you how to see. And boom, I get my sight back. But Ever since that day when I read the word, it's like the words just come out and they like, they stare at me in the face. Or I'll be out in the street and I'm able to be moved by compassion for people and I can see people the way God sees them because even though people haven't received the free gift of God, God still sees them as pure, clean, righteous in his sight. They just don't know it yet. And that's what the power of the gospel has done in my life. I've seen the power of the gospel demonstrated in other people's life. It's always been Jesus. It will never stop being Jesus. Jesus is enough. And Jesus has done more than enough. If the blood was sufficient to seal your salvation, then the blood is sufficient enough to be with you in the highs and the lows of your life, to free you from your sicknesses. Because if the things that you struggled with were an incurable disease... The death's your savior and not Jesus. But the reason Jesus died and resurrected is so that you could be free today. And heaven can live inside of you.